0: Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio, Presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's home for every game of Chicago Cubs baseball. It's got a
1: chance. Cubs
0: win. And Chicago Bulls basketball. It, Bull game over. We are Sports Radio 670 The Score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. And Odyssey Station.
1: The Score. And this hour is being brought to you by Team Hochberg. Visit their website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. And the top of the hour is being brought to you by DuckDuckGo. Privacy, simplify. Ray, let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two, on Sports Radio 670
2: The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Can
1: you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? to Eloy is hammered to left field. Hap turns and watches that one go over the wall. Wow. That got out of here quick. Line drive solo homer for Eloy Jimenez. 6-5. Cubs lead the White Sox. That was Matt Spiegel calling a little Cubs-White Sox baseball. Spiegel did a great job. And his stint, his four-day stint as Cubs play-by-play man. My guy, Steven Nelson, did a great job. And his stint as Blackhawks play-by-play man. Did a wonderful job calling those games. Because hockey is impossible. And I don't know how anyone does it. But now, Steven Nelson gets back to his real job. Back to co-hosting with Kevin Malah On Intentional Talk, starting Monday. 3 p.m. Central, you'll be able to check it out on MLB Network. Earlier this week, White Sox fans, I told you that you had at least one friend at MLB Network. Now the Sierra is going to be hosting Quick Pitch. Guess what? You got another one. Because Steven Nelson is there. He joins me now on the Let's Circuit go. Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Sir, how are you?
0: loho my brother. I'm I'm great. It's like you know, instead of all that, it's like Christmas Eve, the day before Opening Day. Uh, spirits are high, even though I'm uh, wrestling an eight month old, and I am losing. Um, <laughs> other
1: than that, <laughs> other than that, life's great. Good, I am glad. I'm glad to hear that. Obviously, there's been some some movement with the White Sox over the last couple of days, but overall, yeah. I'd love to know what you think of what they look like on paper to start the season. Okay. So
0: uh, Malar and I are going to make predictions in just a few hours on MLB Network. It's our last show at 5.00 PM Eastern, 4.00 PM local. You mentioned next week, we're moving to a time slot, but today we're doing our prediction. So a spoiler for those who uh, won't be able to watch or um, like the folks in my mentions, stop watching once Chris Rose left, I will tell you that I have the white Sox winning the world series. So which is weird for me, Ikhloho, because we've talked before. I am a pessimistic fan by nature, right? Under expect, so everything is over delivered. I am deciding to change up that strategy this year, okay? because I think it I think it's important for the organization to understand that the bar has to be raised, okay? And so this, because this has been an off season um, very, Typical White Sox way, right? Some half-measure moves, some good moves, some half-measure moves, and then a lot of hoping, um, which I'll get into that in a second. Um, That's not going to be good enough. If you want to be a championship team again, given where the game is at and how competitive it is and how tough a road it's going to be to get there, you got to know that the bar has been raised and the expectations have been raised. So I have them winning the World Series. Now, on paper, I believe that they're light um and specifically with the pitching staff i think they are two arms short and that was before we found out about lance lynn uh that was maybe one arm after Garrett crochet but now two so that is what i'm a little concerned about this year there are other fans who have a lot of faith in what is on the roster and that's great i hope that they're proven right but 162 games at least nine innings, that's about, what, 1,458, doing the math, check the calculator, yep, 1,458 innings of regular season ball, and then the postseason, that's a lot to cover, and I don't think that they have the right arms to do it just yet, but I still think a lot of this club, obviously.
1: A lot of managers will tell you that they want a thousand innings covered by their starters, and and maybe that's yeah. maybe that's down to nine fifty in in twenty twenty two baseball. But that's usually a good place to start. Is can can the starters get me a thousand innings? And when I look at the way things are right now, I I struggle to find those the, those innings that the White Sox starters are going to get, but. I look at their lineup and go, man, they might be able to hit their way out of those types of problems.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, I, I, a lot has been made over the last couple of years about the handedness and the lack of balance lefty-righty in the lineup. To me, it, it, the game is evolving where it's less about handedness and more about how you handle different pitching, right? lefty right. we know what the Sox can do against lefty pitching, so just finding guys who can be successful against right. I, I ain't worried about the bats uh, at all. Uh, I, I love this lineup. I really do. I'm more worried about the, not just the arms, as I mentioned earlier, but has this team improved defensively? Can you, can you catch? Can you throw the ball? Um, because that was a huge bug last year, and it was exposed to everybody on a national stage in the postseason against Houston Astros. So uh, did – and the personnel hasn't changed a lot. So, have those individual players uh, taken those necessary steps defensively to help out uh, the staff? I, I got I, I ain't thinking twice about the lineup. That's that's going to be a problem for folks to pitch against.
1: I, I'm with you on that. What did you think of the AJ Pollock move?
0: I, I mean, that was I thought that was a, I thought that was a win for the front office. I really did. It, it just seemed like uh, the um. The return for Craig Kimbrel, you just wondered what was going to be available to the Sox at, at a certain point. So to get a player like A.J. Pollock, who was I know for a fact was one of the most beloved players in that Dodger clubhouse, veteran guy, outfield. Now you're going to be playing him technically out of position in right field where he hasn't spent a ton of time, but he's a capable dude. And for him, his whole career has just been about staying on the field. So um, in terms of talent and ability, like we, I, you know, A.J. Pollock has that. So it's just uh, about health, um, which, again, White Sox way. Just hope everybody stays healthy and we'll be fine. Uh, but I, I actually really like the move for, uh, of bringing in A.J.
1: Pollock. Steven Nelson of Intentional Talk on MLB Network is joining me here on The Score. I, I I like what you're saying. If we were on the phone together, I would be like, talk your bleep, Stephen Nelson, uh, when it comes yeah. to the idea of raising the bar. Usually what happens is that the White Sox organizationally are like, pay attention to us. Please pay attention to us. You should be paying attention to us. Well, now we are, and, I, and I'm with you. I think that we should be looking at championship standard for them, considering – the lineup that they have available and what they've been ideally building towards over the last four seasons?
0: Uh, No question. It's
1: not just us,
0: the diehard Sox fans either, Loho. It's everybody now. Everybody is picking the White Sox to either win the American League pennant or at least play for it. Everybody. So this isn't just locally anymore. You want to be attention of folks around the game, you got it now. So what are you going to do with it? And, and again, like throughout the year, I, I just don't want to see the half-measure stuff. Why sign – and I don't want to throw names out there because I don't want to disrespect them or their families. I'm sure they're great people and the families are wonderful. But why sign outfielder X for price X when you know that outfielder Y for maybe a couple – a few more bucks or a few more million bucks, being honest, uh, is the p- missing piece? I'm still not over Michael Brantley, for example. Me neither. Make, take the steps necessary to ensure that you hit those bars. I, 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 I just don't understand um, the, the thinking behind. I, I, I think it's just a, not a losing mentality, but it, it's certainly not a winning one uh, when you operate that way. Uh, you know how quickly windows open and close in sports. You cannot operate with the expectation that because you have a bunch of young studs, and the Sox do, and have them under quote unquote team control for a number of years, which the Sox do, you can't assume that it's just going to be easy for you. Because it was the Comedy Central last year. That ain't going to be the case anymore. This division is going to push you, you're not going to waltz through it. And I-, I know that the folks within the walls of the organization, realize that. So then what are you going to do with this opportunity? So I, I amen to the point of raising the bar.
1: I wanted to ask you about the American League Central because it, it's the way that I look at it and, and we're both very similar in our White Sox fandom. Like we're always looking for the anvil to drop on our heads when it comes to the White Sox. Yeah. And for me, yeah. it's it's the incremental improvement of the rest of the American League Central where maybe it is the difference between – you splitting a four-game series or maybe you surprisingly dropping a three-game series to Detroit or to Kansas City. And and cumulatively, it adds up where you lost a game that you would have won against the Royals and the Twins and the Tigers last year. And then you're like, wait, why are we in a race with the Twins mm-hmm. at the end of the season? That's the type of thing that scares me. So when you look at the American League Central, what are you seeing?
0: Um, I, I mentioned this uh, several times last season. Um, Detroit's a problem. And uh, that's not changing. If you, if, and if folks don't believe me, like, ah, the Tigers are trash and they're all young and whatever. If you take out their 9 and 24 start, an abysmal start last year, they were seven games above 500 the West Away. And the stocks saw firsthand how annoying they're going to be to play against. You have your culture changing manager. And A.J. Hinch, and he got his fingers in the organization a year ago, that's taken a hold. They were aggressive this offseason. They're bringing in Eduardo Rodriguez, which I think was one of the more underrated, underrated signings. I know Javi, Javi's, Javi Baez is a polarizing um, player. Uh, you, you, you love him or you don't seem to care about him, but you, you know that he's going to be uh, one of the straws that stirs the drink within the clubhouse emotionally. I think they have – uh, the biggest Cy Young dark horse in the American league in Tark Skubal. Um, and and if he's not alone in being, you know, a young arm in that system. So I, 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 that's an organization that uh, I have top of mind. Kansas City does everything right. They treat people right. And they're building up their organization. We're going to see Bobby Witt right out the gate. Uh, Cleveland is always going to pitch. It's just the most annoying thing. That's why I was like when they traded a pitcher for Cesar Hernandez, like you had to give him a pitcher. That's the one thing they do well is develop those guys. But anyway, <laughs> you know, they're uh, – and then Minnesota's not going to be a doormat like they were. They were the most disappointing team in baseball last year. That's not going to be the case. Um, uh, again, I, I cannot see them having a year close to that bad here in 2022. So you put all those things together, this is not going to be just a yellow brick road for, for the White Sox back into the postseason.
1: I was surprised by the Correa move. I love the creativity of the contract. I think it's a great contract for him, where he got all the opt outs and he can he can look it, it around and go, "Oh, they didn't do what they needed to do at the trade deadline. I'm going to go be a free agent again." I I have to tell you, I was surprised that Minnesota w- was like, "Let's try this," and to me, that signals they feel like they're in a better position than what they were last year.
0: Yes. Yeah. There's no question. Uh, And it's an organization that was very aggressive this offseason. Trading Chase Petty, who was their first-round pick a year ago, I I know our guy CeCe Sebastian, he loves Chase Petty. Uh, He thinks that he's going to be an ace. Uh, So to move a guy like that, a talent like that, um, says a lot about what they believe Sonny Gray is going to bring to them right away. Um, And then Carlos Correa. Quick note on Correa. I, I, I heard this from a couple people, one of them being really reliable. Correa and the Cubs, there was, a, there was not just a little smoke there. There was a, there was a huge offer thrown Carlos Correa's way in Chicago, but because of some representation issues, let's, let's say, with Correa and his camp, uh, that deal never came to pass. So that is why with those opt-outs, if I'm a Cub fan, I'm keeping an eye on the Minnesota Twins this year. Because if they struggle and Correa has a good year, Let's put that one first. If Correa is a great year, you know he's opting out again. Um, whether or not the t- Twins are good or not, uh, I think that's something that'll be revisited uh, on the north side of Chicago. is Carlos Correa, but in the short term, right now he's in the American League Central, with, uh, playing for those annoying as hell Twins.
1: I hate! Em.
0: I, I hate them! I, I don't. Man, I don't we hate brother, we are world. we are
1: too much alike, man. Because that like that's the like that's the team that's still. Like I, I'm kind of yes. I'm kind of proud of what the Tigers have been doing. Like, and I love Javi and Miggy. So to me, like I'm yeah. like, oh, that's cool what they're doing. I don't I don't care for the Twins at all. And and at seeing all, them be all. anywhere near competent makes me worried and angry.
0: Yes, yes, them acquiring players that I love in in Gray and Korea, it's the worst thing for me because I can't love them anymore. I have to hate them with all my being. Um, so that's that's. Uh, that's going to be tough for me with those two specifically, but but uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what it is about that those stupid TC hat. They should go back to the end, by the way. But those TC hats, uh, just the you know the Michael Kadir and Jason Kubel, and the list goes Nick Punto, all of them, all of them. There's yeah, Tori the, Tor- the Tor-
1: Hunter, the dark, and and <laughs> should have been a white sock. Yes, but he you should have. Told, I'm still upset about that. Well. And there, there, there he is running over Jamie Burke again, on repeat in our yeah. mind. Stupid Maurer flipping doubles to the left center field gap all the time. We are, we are, we are worsening
0: the vibes right now, We are bringing the vibes way down.
1: Doug Mankiewicz and AJ Prezinski no, no, before he no. was a White Sox. I've had about enough of it. Justin <laughs> Morneau coming up with big home runs. I'm tired of them all. All of them.
0: Minnesota Knights is the biggest, biggest lie on the planet.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You are going to see more great content like this on Intentional Talk starting Monday, 3 p.m. our time on MLB Network. The great Steven Nelson. Man, I really appreciate the time. Let's check in again later on in the season, okay? Anytime
0: you feel like hurting your viewers' ears with me on LoHo, you know I'm there, brother. Uh, but thank you so much uh, to you and the crew, and I'll talk to you again soon, man.
1: That is Go Steven Sox. Nelson of MLB Network. You got two friends at MLB Network, White Sox fans. Did Steven Nelson just like give us some like breaking news? That's some cool content. If you're like, I love that Steven was like doing a whole White Sox segment. He's like, hold on, left turn. Hey, Cub fans, if this thing doesn't work out in Minnesota, you might get Carlos Correa. You talk about a man understanding his audience. It's good stuff right there. This goes back to the angry Cubs caller we had last hour. Mad because the Cubs didn't do enough in the offseason way. Hey, looks like they tried. Steven Nelson just told us that. There was an effort. There was an effort. That's good stuff. Steven's great. I love that he got a chance to live out his dream of calling, calling Blackhawks games. He's a huge, like crazy hockey fan and he got to call a few games this year and that was great. Watch our guy and support him. If you're a White Sox fan and you're not following Stephen Nelson on Twitter, you're doing it wrong. We're going to talk about Tiger Woods. He thinks he can win the Masters. Can he? We'll discuss next here on The Score.
0: Lawrence Holmes Noon to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score, the score, 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 score. and 670thescore.com
2: in odyssey station
1: you've said countless times throughout your career that you don't enter a golf tournament unless you think that you can win Mm -hmm. it so the question is simple do you think you can win the masters this week i do and what have you seen in your preparation that leads
2: you to believe that well i can i can hit it just fine and I, i i don't have any qualms about what i can do physically from a golf standpoint it's now walking is the hard part you know this is normally not a easy walk to begin with. Now, given the conditions that, you know, my leg is in, it gets a little bit more difficult. And, you know, that's,
1: you know, 72 holes is uh, is a long road. And it's going to be a a tough challenge and a challenge that I'm I'm up for. Shockingly, Tiger Woods is expected to tee off tomorrow morning, I believe, at 9.34 hour time. He will take to the course at Augusta. A lot of people thought he might never play golf again, 15 months ago and now look at him now he's he's right there and he says he can win and Ian O'Connor wrote a piece today saying you better believe him when he tells you that he can win Ian is a columnist for the New York Post he is also the author of Coach K the Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski which I will ask him about also inside of this interview he joins me now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Ian, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. When you got the news that Tiger was even contemplating playing in the Masters, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I was shocked, Lawrence, and thanks for the kind words. I, I thought that Shane Andrews in July at the British Open, a flat course, and he's won there a couple of times, That made more sense to me, but man, to to come back this quickly, when he talked about almost having his leg amputated, and now Ben Hogan, a long time ago, uh, he won the U.S. Open 16 months after he was nearly killed by a Greyhound bus, and this would be inside those 16 months if Tiger can win the Masters. But I don't think anybody in golf really thought he had a chance to play here, and particularly Lawrence, it's the toughest walk in golf. It's it's very hilly it's going to be a grueling test. I've seen him, I watched him particularly on Monday. He is limping. There's no question about that. And he is moving a bit like an old man. But when he swings the golf club, it looks like primetime tiger. That's the thing. And, you know, this isn't, he's not uh, playing a sport where he needs to rely on his legs a lot in terms of running. This is not, he's not a two guard in basketball. He's not a shortstop. He's not a wide receiver. He's a golfer. So he can walk in between. Uh, moments of greatness, and and so can he do that for 72 holes? I think that's the question.
1: Ian is joining us from Augusta. He is there on the golf course. Ian, for people who didn't get an opportunity to experience it and see it, what was it like to see what I felt like were tournament-esque galleries for Tiger Woods' practice rounds?
2: Yeah, it was amazing. That is the biggest Monday practice round gallery I I have ever seen. It really felt uh, Monday like it was Sunday at the Masters. It was was unbelievable. I think uh, Justin Thomas said it was bigger than any gallery he's ever had during the Masters tournament. He's a pretty damn good player. So – it, it, the atmosphere was unbelievable, and I think people were just amazed that he was here. And when I don't think any sport has ever needed an athlete more than golf has needed Tiger Woods over the decades. I, you know, Michael Jordan, you could argue, but there was magic and bird before him and then Kobe and LeBron to follow. I don't see any, any Kobe and LeBrons here in golf that are going to follow this guy. There are some good players, but, but nobody at that level.
1: Yeah, I I, think, I I wondered I, about that too. Like, I thought maybe DJ might be that guy that he might be able to 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 walk through and, and maybe be that. But you're right. Like, there isn't anything like the Tiger phenomenon.
2: Yeah, nothing close to it. And I think you've seen that in the reaction here with the with the galleries with with just everyone. He enhances this tournament, any tournament he plays in, to the nth degree. And and the fact that he came out and said he could win it. I don't think, and I know he's often said in the past, he'll never enter a tournament. He doesn't believe he has a chance to win. And and so there maybe was that expectation, but he said it with conviction. And I, I, I think that people were expecting him to say, you know what, I'm going to manage my expectations this week and and try to compete and try to contend on Sunday. But for him to say it the way he said it, and he has so much credibility. He deserves the benefit of the doubt in that context all the time. And that's why I wrote what I wrote. If he believes he can win. And I was here in 2019, which was, I think in 36, 37 years of doing this, the most incredible sporting event I've ever covered. If he believes he can do that three years later, then who am I to doubt him?
1: Ian O'Connor of the New York post is joining me here. As we talk about Tiger woods, Ian is live in Augusta. As we speak, I know that it's 7,200 yards. It's a lot of Hills. But this is a course that Tiger knows really well. Does that part of it set up for him to be successful?
2: Yeah, no question, Lawrence. I mean, the, the muscle memory, the institutional knowledge, he knows this course like nobody else. And so there's no question that that will help him in a, in a big way. And, and I remember just, just asking him before 2019 if he felt that the, the four previous green jackets would, would help him as he tried to win number five. And of course it did. And he said that. So I think when he tees off on uh, tomorrow and, and listen, they gave him a really good pairing. And you look at 1034 Eastern tiger needs time in the morning these days to get his engine going. I mean, he, he, with all his injuries and surgeries over the years, he can't just roll out of bed anymore and play. So it's early and he needs the early Thursday, late Friday, caring for recovery time but it's also not that early. He's going to have time to be able to kind of warm up, go through his physical routine to get ready to play. So, I expect he'll perform at at a fairly high level and really I'd be I'd I'd be surprised if not shocked at this point if he doesn't make the cut. I think he'll be there on the weekend and and I think he'll be in the mix.
1: This is a crazy week for you, man. Like you you write the column on Tiger, you're down at Augusta. Meanwhile, you wrote the book on Coach K. Coach K, the rise and reign of Mike Krzyzewski, and then you have the end of Coach K to his most bitter rival. What was that like to see up close?
2: Well, it was amazing. I, I remember just sitting directly across Hubert Davis, the North Carolina coach, and just seeing how intensely engaged he was in every possession in that game. And then looking across it, at Coach K, who was sitting on a stool, And he wasn't a passive observer of the game, but you could see the distinct difference between the younger coach and the older coach. And it's amazing to believe that they've competed hundreds of times, and that's the first time they've ever met in an NCAA tournament game. And hey, I think it's arguably the biggest college basketball game ever. It was a classic heavyweight fight. I think it was a worthy end to Coach K's career, even though he lost the game. But you know, with your audience, I, I think it's, it's worth noting that, and I have a lot of this in my book, the Duke program was built, there's a lot of Chicago in that program and, and what he did. I think it, at his heart, at his core, Coach K was a street kid from Chicago raised by parents who didn't have high school educations, who labored for wealthy people, and his own father had to change his last name to avoid discrimination from Krzyzewski to cross. And so I think that really shaped him and that was the competitive rage and fire within that really built that Duke program.
1: It's really interesting to me the juxtaposition of coach K coming from those beginnings and then being dropped into an institution in an in, in area that is is built on like familial wealth. I mean, I I how did he navigate that? being the guy from the the kind of hard scrabble upbringing that that then goes into the military for upward mobility
2: that's a very good question lawrence and when he got to duke there was i think in talking to people who were there and we're talking 1980 there was a feeling among some like "Oh, we're hiring this this polish guy that we've never heard of and early on there was some really negative reaction to him people wanted him fired it wasn't based on interviews I conducted solely on results. Although when you look at the fact that Dean Smith in 82 was winning a national title next door in 83, Jim Valvano was winning a national title next door. Then you have Mike losing at home to Wagner. I mean, that was, that was part of it. But I I think that uh, just as a street fighter and, and someone who really came from a blue collar background. He just did it with competitive fire and he refused to be defeated. He refused to be fired, frankly, and was able to just find a way in recruiting, getting Johnny Dawkins, which really changed the whole thing for him. And finally he was able to put some talent on the floor that could match up with what Dean Smith was putting on the floor at North Carolina. But I think a lot of people are surprised when they are around him when he's coaching a game for the first time. He's the most profane coach in any sport I've ever heard in 37 years of doing this. I mean, when you sit, when you sit behind that Duke bench for the first time, you are blown away by the profanity. Now, I think in later years he toned it down a little, but he, he, <laughs> he's a street fighter. He's a street kid, and I think a lot of people are surprised by that when they encounter that side of him for the first time.
1: Well, Ian, I'm really looking forward to reading the book. Uh, thanks so much for sending me a copy. And when I'm done with it, I want to have you back on so we can discuss more.
2: Hey, anytime. And if you need me later in this tournament, uh, give me a shout. Thanks, Lawrence.
1: You got it. That is Ian O'Connor of the New York Post. And his book is called Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. That's a really interesting part of Coach K's background. Like, you're, you're the dude. Like It's almost like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know, he had to fight for everything to get into the army, like to be a cadet. And then it's like, oh, here, here's this job at this private institution where there's a lot of money being thrown around. I have every sports book that I've read this year has been a basketball book. It's, it's nuts. Very, very crazy. Speaking of basketball, um. We do two-minute reports for every Bulls games, even the bad ones. It's time for the two-minute
0: report. Two minutes. What? Not one, but two.
1: Oh, say less.
0: It's time for the two-minute report on the Lawrence Holmes Show. Can't wait. It's the Bulls and the bucks the fourth and final meeting between the two teams. Here come the Bucks. Giannis, a couple of bounce on the dribble. Left-hand dribble drive, cuts in the lane. Too easy with a left-hand cut to the rim. And we've got a timeout, 62-48 Milwaukee. Middleton
1: leaves it for Giannis. Oh, wow. Uh, Giannis didn't really, he didn't even jump. It, barely had a jump. Yeah, he was like plastic man. Uh, the Greek freak living up to the reputation and name. Giannis on a, pump, on a
0: drive and the finish, right in the chest of Vucevic. On the right side, 98-82 Milwaukee.
1: in to Giannis, and he puts it in and a foul. A tough clutch move by Giannis. And it's, it's just like those, those little bitty things
2: right there on the, just watch this pick and roll. You got to know who's right. See, you see Caruso tried to anticipate and go over the top, which trying to, you know, basically trying to make a play. and gets caught cheating, and then it becomes a two-on-one break. Two all-stars coming down the floor. This is a tough,
0: it's tough to stop. And this game is over as the Milwaukee Bucks sweep the season series. And with a 127-106 to victory over the Bulls, now having won 16 of the last 17 games, and the Bulls make the playoffs, that's the good news, but they slip to the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, as long as the opportunity is there, it's a chance. It would be different if, you know, we wasn't making it and we'd be talking about next year. You know, so for us still to have a chance and have an opportunity to pick it up, and use these next couple games to be going in the right right direction at the right time, that's what it's all about. You know, as long as you're playing good basketball at the right time with the opportunity it's still in front of you, um, any anything can happen. So, you know, you always kind of look at it from a positive point of view.
1: Highlights courtesy of the score. Chuck on the call last night. Last night was upsetting, man. Like, it... I wasn't expecting the Bulls to beat the Bucks because the Bucks are clearly better than them. But most of the, the games games they've played against Milwaukee have been close games. Milwaukee last night wasn't even really trying. Like that's what bothered me the most. Like it was it was silly fouls and silly turnovers for the the Bulls early on in that game. And I felt like I was watching Giannis play at 80% last night. Just kind of like, oh, let me try some stuff. Let me work on my game. Like, that's what it felt like to me. That I was watching the Bulls lose. As the Bulls were trying to win, because they didn't know that Orlando was going to help them out and, and make it so that they don't have to play in the play-in tournament. The Bulls were trying to win that game. And the Bucks were just kind of like, let's do some stuff. Let's try some different combinations. Chris Middleton came out there and immediately started making jump shots, then stopped making jump shots. Still finished with 19 points, four rebounds, and five assists. Giannis played 24 minutes last night. And it was like he was toying with the Bulls. His line last night was 18, 9, and 7. Giannis had seven assists last night because what he decided to do was I'm just going to distribute today. Today's the day where I'm just going to just kind of go out here and do whatever. And they have nothing that can stop drew holiday. Drew holiday is amazing. 19 points, 13 assists for him, six rebounds on the night. On top of that, even though he's a guard, He can play your bigs in the post. Did you see him man up against Tristan Thompson last night? Really? What's the reverse of a mouse in the house? Because that's what happened to Tristan Thompson last night. There are a lot of bad matchups for the Bulls in the playoffs. I hope to God it's not Milwaukee in the first round. Because... Giannis is then going to start trying. And if he's not trying and he's giving you 18-9-7, what happens when he actually does? He did that. Like, understand, 18-9-7 in 24 minutes. It doesn't get more efficient than that. Wherever he wanted to go on the court, he could. Whatever he wanted to do with the, the Bucks offense, he could. I'm trying to find a matchup for the Bulls, and I don't know that there is a good one for them in the playoffs. But I do know that a team didn't try yesterday, and they beat you by 20 when your star player had 40 points in the game. I think we saw Io get benched yesterday. Three turnovers for him in the game. And then we didn't really see him until the end of the game, after the, you know, the, the beginning of the third quarter. Yes, you were playing without Zach. Zach should be back tonight. Caruso is doubtful because there's no reason for them to play. The the Bulls know they're not in the play in. They could still be the fifth seed. Are they, are they close enough to maybe be the... I don't think they're close enough. Let's see. Right now, they are trailing Philadelphia. Yeah, they, they're they either going to be the five or the six. But, man, like, there haven't been a lot of... The Sacramento game, Like that was a, a game that was annoying. This game was annoying for a different reason. It was just annoying because it felt like Milwaukee was toying with the Bulls. And even toying with the Bulls, they beat them by 21 points. Back after this on The Score. Lawrence Holmes,
0: noon to 2, on Sports Radio 670, The Score, in Odyssey Station.
1: By the way, that loss last night by the Bulls drops them to 2-20 against the top four seeds in both conferences. Thoughts share. Tomorrow is opening day for the Cubs. And I'm glad that we got an opportunity to talk a little bit about the Cubs. And I could at least get a semblance of where you're at as a Cub fan. I always think that opening day allows people to hope. It doesn't seem like that hope bucket is filled when it comes to the Cubs. But maybe... They can be better than we expect, which feels like something we would have said ten years ago about the Cubs. I do have some expectations for some of their players, like Marcus Stroman and Kyle Hendricks and Wilson Contreras. I'm curious about Seiya Suzuki. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to watching innings, but I get where you're coming from. Those of you that are like, yes. Baseball itself being back is exciting, but I'm not excited about the 2022 Cubs season. There's a good little nugget, though, that Steven Nelson dropped on us a little earlier in the hour, saying that they were in it on Carlos Correa. And that might mean that they're closer to being more aggressive than you think. Man, could you think about how differently – We'd be looking at the Cubs season had they gotten Carlos Correa. And you're out there like, oh, opening day is going to be Carlos Correa and Yes Suzuki. A boy can dream, right? That would have been a lot of fun. But I am looking forward to seeing some of this stuff play out and how Jed goes about building a team. Opening day is tomorrow. We will be broadcasting live from Gallagher Way starting at 9 a.m. And we will get you ready for first pitch at Addison and Clark. I will talk with Parkins and Spiegel. Next, here on The Score...